You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 8 of Let's Talk Photography. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a fantastic panel as always. It's been a while, Mark, but welcome back. Thanks. Well, great to be back. I've been busy, but happy to be back on the show. Excellent. Well, we're delighted to have you back. Uh, we also have on with us the dynamic duo that are switched to manual. Hi, Antonio. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mark. Hey, Bart. How you are guys you? doing fine over there in good old New York City? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. beautiful spring day. Perfect. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, it's true. We had our first bit of good weather yesterday. I spent four hours outside on the bike with my camera. It was fun. Mm. Nice. And then joining us from the east of me, which we don't seem to have very often, um, we have uh, Ewan Rankin from the British Tech Network joining us for the first time. Welcome, Ewan. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Since you're a new, I was going to say face, a new voice on the show, do you want to just give like a two-line potted history of Ewan Rankin and photography? Uh, yeah, commercial photographer. I've uh, been doing it for nearly 30 years. Um, started when, when uh, in the 80s when all the rage was shooting business, uh, was, well, yeah, business cards that had your photo on. Yeah. Photo business cards were what got me into photography. Um, huh. uh, not because of the love of it, because it was a pain <laughs> to do, <laughs> but it was just everyone bloody wanted them. And the company that I worked for said, well, you've got a camera, off you go. And that was it. That was the end of it. So I just then started from there. I, I, I focus on commercial. I don't do weddings. I'm not interested in taking portraits of your dog. I do, uh, I do industrial photography and uh, that kind of stuff. And a lot of videography now as well. Excellent. Cool. Well, we're delighted to have you aboard. Hopefully uh, you. you won't regret it. Glad to be here. No, I hope not too. So the topic <laughs> I have picked for this month's chat is literally, I had a thought while walking, and I'm hoping we get an hour's worth of talk out of a, to- a thought. And my thought was, sometimes ugly places are actually really nice if you just like zoom in and look at the small details. So uh, I'm sort of wary of using the word macro because that has a really fancy definition, which is that the thingy in the real world has to be the same size as the image it casts on the image plane. But let's just forget about that. Taking pictures of small things is sort of our topic. So first off, I guess, do, do many people here on the panel do that? I do. Yeah, very much so. I mean, um, and lately I've been using my, you know, I'm the Nikon guy in the switch to manual team, but <clears throat> I've been really going uh, ape over these, uh, this new, uh, newish Fuji X20 I have. Yeah. And... It's got two. It's got two macro modes. Excuse me for saying the word. I feel like I shouldn't say. No, macro. Look, okay, I don't know what else to call it. Close now, right? We've we've done a wee disclaimer. We don't yeah, mean yeah. technical yeah. definitions. So it's it's two close it. focus modes. One is a you know like a basic close focus mode, and then it's got something very like super close focus. Hmm. Um, and I've been using those a lot, especially because that camera is so small, and I can get it into little teeny tiny tight spots. Yeah. So I've been like pushing them up into flowers. Uh, taking pictures of bugs, um, my my cat's eyeballs, if they'll let me, you know, not scratch my hand. Um, so I've been using that a lot, um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, you know, I've always shot macro pictures or micro pictures, however you want to say it. Um, but this new camera, for some reason, I guess because it's so small and portable, allows me to get into really tight spots that I couldn't get into with my DSLR very easily. 
I think if you go back to the essence of, of, uh, of highlights of detail, I think your point there about, you know, I'm walking around, I see something, and I focus on the detail. Well, if you look at the short depth of field that you'd use uh, in some cases to, to highlight specific items within the frame and then blur everything else out, to highlight that detail or to frame that detail within a context, macro is just the antithesis of that because it, it, it because of the short depth of field in what you're shooting in nearly every shot that you'll take you've got to be thinking very carefully about what it is you're intending to highlight for me if i'm shooting a catalog that has got 500 screws in it or 500 nuts and bolts uh, of varying descriptions and sizes um, i'm thinking very much about what i show and what i don't show within the image uh, tom do you do you do micro stuff Occasionally, if something really catches my eye, but um, I typically have my wide angle, and as Antonio will tell you, you know, I, I try to just sort of capture the whole world and what my eye sees, and so oftentimes I'm I'm kind of getting a bit of everything. But you know, now and then, uh, like I said, if something yeah, something really tiny catches my eye. I will uh, play around with it and try to capture it. Like the other day, I was walking through the East Village, and there was one of these funky shops that just looks like, you know, the window display hadn't changed in in 100 years, which in America is like a 1,000 years for you guys, you know, because we have very little history. But it just looked like it had been there for ages. And, And so I just started shooting it. And later when I looked at it, I realized... There, there were some fascinating little tiny details, miniature figurines and things. And actually, I wished I had taken more time to, you know, get down on my knees and kind of compose the image within the image. So I sort of did my normal thing, um, which is an interest of mine, just the habits that we all get in. Um, so I, I captured more than I wanted to. But, but it was, you know, little stuff that caught my eye and I... I did what I could. Cool. And uh, Mark? And Yeah, and for me, I, I would say that it's not something that I do a lot of, but there is a particular circumstance where, where I do a fair amount of it, and this year in particular, and that's when I'm uh, in the tulip fields uh, here in Skagit County. And uh, mm. this, this year I did several uh, close-in images of tulips, and it's actually kind of goes to what you, the genesis of why you uh, picked this topic, and that was that the particular time that I was there, the sky uh, was lousy. Uh, it, it wasn't going to give me a good background because I like to shoot with a blue sky with fluffy clouds or whatever on the background of the big open fields of tulips. Well, I was there, and it was very gray and kind of ugly, and just I wasn't going to get a nice background for the big open fields. So instead, I uh, started focusing down on, you know, individual flowers or individual, you know, small patches of of uh, blooms, and actually ended up with a lot of images that I really like this year. You're gonna have to pause the recording there and explain sunlight to Bart. Sunlight? What is that? Yeah. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> there's a bowl of hydrogen that's slowly turning into helium. Yeah, Bart, and I, Bart and I have the same challenge because I live in the Seattle area. I hardly ever see the sun, so. Ah, oh, no. I, I just want to say, actually, so Mark, you've mentioned the tulip fields. Your website mm-hmm. is Twin Lakes Images. You have a fantastic blog post there. 
giving advice for people who are going to the tulip fields and how they can get the most out of that experience photographically. So just one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, I, and I think that you can translate what I wrote there for a lot of different kinds of places where you might go where there's a bunch of tourists, whether it's a flower field or whatever, because it's it's just concepts of and and maybe even what we're talking about today, and that is you know look for look for different angles or. Uh, uh, going close, things like that, to block out the people. So. I, I mean, you have spectacular shots with, you know, like sunbursts with perfect light over these massive fields of tulips, and they are jaw-dropping. But some of my favorite shots of yours from the tulip fields are actually where you get in really close, but below the tulips. So you're looking up mm. to the sky through the tulips, as it were. Right. Yep. And that, and that's this close work. And it, and, uh, also this year i think and maybe we'll we'll i don't want to jump too far ahead into the topic but one of the inter- when the lights you think the light is good when it's real bright sunlight and actually for shooting flowers it's it's better when the light's quite a, is more diffuse and because you don't get the saturation you don't get the reflection um and that's particularly true for when you're going to do close work on them you can really see the detail in the flower and the petals a lot better if if you're not getting the glaring sun on them yeah no that's a, that's one of the reasons i take a lot of micro photos is because when the weather doesn't play ball it's actually really playing ball for flowers and insects and stuff like that which is kind of nice it's nice that nature has worked out that way that if the sun is shining beautiful landscape the sun isn't shining beautiful micro Going close. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question here? Sorry, Bart, to take yeah. over a little bit. No, no, bit, no. It's a conversation. So I'm, I'm interested really more in how people get close because uh-huh. that's, that's, that's the one thing I think where you're going to find an enormous diversity between us all. Um, for my money, it, it, and let's, let's define uh, the point of getting to microscopically close in the true macro sense as opposed to just filling the frame with something that's of very close interest that's fairly small to start with. And it, it's how everyone in the room gets that, how they get to close. That intrigues me. Well, if, actually, can I ask that slightly different? Does, does anyone here actually own a dedicated micro lens? Yes. Oh, I, have, uh, yeah, I have several, I think. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, okay. two. At so least two, two. two out of five of us own micro lenses, but five out of five of us shoot up close, which is an important thing, I think. Don't mm. think you have to spend money to get close. Well, you see, now, I've bought macro lenses in the past, and this is why I asked the question, because mm-hmm. I've never got satisfactory results from a macro lens. I've always got better results from a macro tube. Okay, so do you want to explain to people what tubes are? Well, tubes are basically something that you put on the back end of your lens. So you'll take your standard, let's say a really cheap macro solution then would mm-hmm. be, you go on eBay and you buy a set of macro tubes for $10 uh, that turn up six weeks later because they've come from China, but they're actually fairly good in terms of construction. <laughs> you then take your cheapest uh, lens that you've got, your uh, your 50mm f1.8, and instead of putting things in front of the lens, which you tend to do if you want to, you know, if you've bought a, a camera that, that uses a Tiffin add-on or something like that, mm. you take these tubes and you just add them as spacers between the lens and the body, and you get a longer lens and it's it wangs around a little bit once in a while, and you've got to be careful of movement. But I've got to say, and I shoot fair amount of of, of close-up stuff. Um, for product photography, and I use tubes because I've never found a macro lens that I was satisfied with the results from. So it's cheaper, and in your experience as a professional photographer, it's actually better. 
Yeah, I've never. I, I, it's never been about the cost. I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I've bought lenses galore and sold them all. Every professional photographer has, or just keeps them and never uses them again anyway in a cupboard. Can I? Can I ask you what? What? What's your system? Nikon, Canon. I'm Canon. Now don't don't tell me that it's because I shoot Canon that I've never. No, 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 no. I was gonna, I was I was just going to say if you were Nikon, I would have been surprised because one of the one of the best lenses that Nikon makes is a sixty millimeter micro lens. It's incredible. It's flat field. So I was just going to be I was going to be in shock if you were Nikon and said that because the. That's Nikon the same. Uh, that's the same that. statement. You just, you just tried it nicer. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a passive aggressive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know those Nikon guys. I, I yeah. have a feeling we may like have numbered Canon guys in this show, but <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so these tubes, I, I'm guessing on modern lenses, they have all of the electrical contacts to pass through the signals, or is that oh. not the case? No, not if you're getting them for ten dollars off. No, okay. Uh, uh, there's, there's some Nikon ones, extension tubes I have that do have the connectors, but um, most of them are just spa- like like you said. They're just spacers, and they're extending your lens. Part of the issue with that I've noticed is that you, when you, the further out you extend your lens, the more you get the um, the macro effect is increased. Um, and I've always noticed that uh, it's sometimes it's very hard to lock in a focus huh, with the extension tubes. You, as I said in, the, in, the, in my preamble there, you've got to watch the wobble. I mean, yeah, the, the yeah. problem is that you're taking a, a bare metal tube and you're sticking something that's got glass in it on the end of it, which is significantly heavier. Um, you, you do take your life in your hands a little bit with buying the cheap ones off, off eBay because they're, they're not always the tightest of fits on the bayonet sometimes. But you can get very good results with just the shorter of the, of the, the fittings very quickly and very easily and very cheaply. And, you don't and, need to go out and buy a, a massive you know, lens at five, six hundred pounds. And the logic behind the tubes, in case people are wondering, is that the, the reason you can't use just any old lens to take stuff up close is that it won't focus that close. Yeah. And if you just take the tubes in, then the camera can actually focus way closer. But it, so if you have tubes without the metal contacts to give you to pass through all the electrical signals, then you end up having to manually do a few things. What do you have to manually do and what do you still get automatic? Well, I just wanted to say that, that one of the re- I might get a bit of abuse for this, but <laughs> if I want to shoot something up close, like, say you were, I don't do a lot of nature photography or anything, but say you were shooting a bee or you're shooting a bird or something like that, mm-hmm. and you're, um, you want to be a little bit further away. Oh, yeah. And what I found is if I take my 70 to 200 millimeter 2.8 lens and I stick a macro tube on the back of it, I've got a short focal length already with that at 1.4, millim- uh, 1.4 meters if I want it. And that's usually pretty good for filling the frame with, with stuff like uh, a bee or something like that. But if you then put a macro tube on it, it allows you to go a little bit further back. And you've got, you, you only get a, a touch more because don't forget, you're going to start losing the focus on it anyway. Yeah. But I've got a, with the smaller macro tubes, I've got a little bit further away and I've got better results. Well, I, I do all of my macro stuff with a zoom lens. Yeah, I, I remember asking a professional photographer, a friend of my dad's, so I want to do macro photography, what lens should I buy? He went, do you have a zoom lens? I went, yeah. He went, stand back, zoom in. And that simple piece of advice has served me superbly well. Uh, although nowadays when I'm buying new zoom lenses, I actually compare the closest focusing distance. So the reason I own the the the, the zoom lens I own is because it focuses in without any sort of like little switches or anything, it just focuses in to one foot. 
and it's 250 mil at the at the high end. So 250 mil at one foot away, that makes butterflies frame filling and so on and so forth. So that's the that's the Sigma lens, right, Bart? That's the Sigma 18 to 250, which is my absolute I, darling. I just traded for that lens. Yay. That's what I'm using. <laughs> I was going to ask you, does that count as a macro lens? Because they, they use the word macro in it. They do, but I don't think it meets the definition that the subject is the same size on the image I don't frame. Think blah, so. blah, blah. I don't think so either. <laughs> but it works. But they, it, it's nice for flowers. It's nice for butterflies. It works for bees. And that's kind of what I use it for. Um, mm. Actually, the other thing just to say is, what I say is don't be afraid to crop, right? We all have these 20 bazillion megapixel cameras these days. So what if it isn't entirely frame-filling? If you focus properly, just crop off a bit. Well, I've got a rule of thumb on that, which goes back to when I was using Photoshop 7, which is 140%, and that's my maximum crop. 140%. So, I, I, yeah, I'll use, um, uh, you know, I'll blow up the image or I'll crop by 140%. So it's, it's, as I blow it up, it's 140% with the, with the interpolation, or I'll crop at what is the equivalent of 140%, but I won't do any more than that. And that's that might be a an obsolete. Li- I mean, I'm a, I'm an old dinosaur here, but but um, you know, I've always found that I can guarantee I'm not going to get pixelation. I'm not going to get degrading in quality that's significantly bad enough that I can't hit the output uh, medium that I want because it's probably print for me. Um, I, I what I tend to do is I tend to shoot a lot, especially if there's a bit of a breeze blowing and things are moving around a little bit, or if it's a butterfly, it just it doesn't sit perfectly still. And I tend to find that if I shoot enough, I will have one that, when zoomed into 100%, is tack sharp. I will throw 49 in the bin and keep one, but I can then crop like absolute mad on it because even at 100%, it's sharp. But if you only take one, that's you're going to be a very lucky person. The thing I found with the extension tubes as opposed to my regular macro lens is that that little that depth of field that you get is you know is so shallow um, that especially when I'm using my camera to try to shoot something that's not very easily viewable through the viewfinder like if I'm down on the ground or something like that. Um, I find that the extension tube is like it's it it is really a narrow amount of area that you can focus. Um, and even if you stop down the lens, was actually when you have the extension tube on and you stop down. Well, you know, you and when you use these extension tubes, do they have how do they deal with the aperture on them? The ones that don't have the uh, don't have the connectors. Uh, the apertures, I just set a shoot manual with a with a manual lens. Yeah, I'll turn the lens to manual. And I'll just pick the. Uh, I'll pick, uh. it, pick it myself. I, I, I'm never off a tripod really when I do that kind of stuff anyway. Though. Yeah, I was not, just thinking. Not like, all lenses will let you do that, will they? Yeah, not all lenses do that. I was just wondering about that. But anyway, I I just find that that narrow. Like I end up taking a lot of pictures when I use extension tubes because I'm I'm missing the focus sometimes because it's so narrow, um, and so I'm pulling the camera back a little. Even like little small movements will will change the field of focus. On that, um, and I, it's not as is not as um, the tolerances are, are different with a, with an actual like my micro lens, my sixty millimeter. Uh, I, I have a little more control over it. Um, so anyway, I just noticed that that's that's a difference. It's a little more frustrating for me to use the tubes, especially when the field. Um, 
then maybe a control. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking. I've got five or six of these things on. It, it's usually just you know some of the smaller ones, um, and the effect is is I don't find it particularly distracting or uh, or, or difficult uh, to focus. But it, it's nearly always tripod, and uh, it's uh, it's usually a, a, I find it a, a more controllable result. So because, yeah, here's you're, a, because you're on a tripod, you can just you know take a shot, test it, tweak the focus a teeny bit, test again until you have bingo. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, the the output on my camera is fairly good, um, and I, I can the the diopter gives me focus. I've I've had it set so that my because I haven't got very good vision anymore, and the diopter sets for for good clarity on the on the. Uh, on the view, so it, it it always comes out just fine. Well, here's a here's a plug for the cameras with the um, bendable screens, because um, mm. if I'm shooting, sometimes when I'm doing macro stuff, I'm like dropping the camera down in the dirt, you know. So it's not on a tripod that you know the sand is holding the camera up or whatever is on the ground, and <clears throat> you know it's almost I can't focus at all because I can't get my head down that close to look at the uh, through the viewfinder. And there's a big plus for those cameras with the uh, with the bendable. Uh, LCD screens, but that's the horse for the course, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly the point. Is that that you know? The, the, I was interested when Bart was saying to, to, to if you're saying to a professional photographer, did you, did you pick up a camera and go and shoot someone else's wedding? Uh, the last thing that would go through my head on a Sunday night is to go and pick up a camera because I'm going to do it tomorrow all day and every day thereafter. Um, uh, so. It, if I'm going to shoot anything that's macro, 90% of the time I'm going to be getting paid for it. So, and 90% of the time I'm not looking to have um, uh, anything that I want to go wrong at any point. So I'm probably in a controlled environment. It's probably studio or it's product tent, and it's definitely on a tripod. And I would never shoot macro particularly in the wild, in inverted commas. I just before we started recording, I did the math on. So my two fifty mil lens focused in as close as it can at thirty two centimeters at f eleven, which is usually about all the light one gets in an Irish day. The depth of field I'm working with is two millimeters, which wow. is why if you wobble even a little bit between, you know, the first beep and it requires focus and pressing your finger the whole way down, that's it. You've lost it because you've only got two mil to work with. Which is why you got to shoot again and again and again. And a tripod would be lovely if nature would sort of play ball with that. <laughs> um, but the other reason that, the, that this like this spectacularly shallow depth of field matters is because if you don't get perpendicular to the thing, you, you've lost it. I mean, if you want to get a beautiful butterfly, you want to get the whole wing sharp, You've only got two millimeters of depth, so you better actually be perpendicular to that butterfly's wing. Mm. And the chances are you won't be perfectly, in which case, just make sure you get the eyes would be my, my tip. If the eyes are sharp, your brain will utterly ignore the fact that the wingtips are out of focus. But if you've got two wingtips and a blurry middle, your eye will go, what, what were you doing? So I'd say make sure yeah, you get like the most, eyes. Sorry? It's like most nature. You know, yeah, if you get the eyes, you've pretty much got it. <clears throat> yeah. And sometimes it's even interesting, you know. But as yeah, as, if the eyes are out of focus, then then it feels off, no matter almost no matter what. Yeah. So, actually, just while, while we're on the subject of, of butterflies, butterflies are something I do a lot, and um, I often get people sort of asking me on Twitter, 
how, how do you get that photograph without them, you know, sodding off? How, how do you do that? And the the two tips I've discovered are never, ever, 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 ever let your shadow cross over a butterfly. Because if they see a moving shadow that passes over them, they scarper. They assume that something is coming. And the other thing is come in low. Don't loom over them. That makes them cranky too. And then slowly, slowly catch you monkey. Um, so I, I tend to sort of take safety shots as I move in. And then as close as I get is as close as I get. Those are great tips. I like that safety shot. I've never heard that phrase, but I, I do that when I'm shooting people candidly on the street sometimes. You know, I'll fire a few as I'm approaching if I'm going to ask or even if I'm not. You know, I'll just make sure I get a few as I'm getting in close. <laughs> Maybe there isn't that much difference between a butterfly, <laughs> a butterfly and a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a Brooklynite and a butterfly, they're, they're similar, except the, you know, the butterfly won't kill you if they're offended. Move in slow before they go skittering away. Yeah, that sounds about right. I wanted to mention, actually, one of the things I did a long time ago uh, for stock photography, now everybody seems to be doing it, was, um, do you know those, those German um, prizer figures for HO train sets? Are anybody aware of those things? They're little teeny tiny people that you use for the dioramas when you set up a train. I, okay. you know, like a yeah. model trains. Yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This German company, I think it's Prizer, I might be getting the name wrong, but they make these great little detailed figures, you know, and they're HO scale, so the little people are about a half an inch, three quarters of an inch tall. And I used to shoot them in all the, all these different little scenarios I would set up, and I would use my macro setup to, on purpose, create you know, this shallow depth of field using these figures so that they kind of looked like they were human. And I put them in all sorts of little scenarios. Um, and I ended up selling them as stock photography because they were really good conceptual imagery, the way I would set them up in like of a construction guy using, um, you know, moving gears or something like that. And after that, I became very much um, into photographing very small toys, like little teeny tiny toys. I would buy tons of these toys and I would just do it for myself. And I was I was doing that on necessarily because my um, I didn't really have a studio, so I I was shooting in my apartment, so I didn't have a lot of space. So it became sort of you know my style to shoot macro photography in this little teeny tiny cubby that I set up in my apartment, um, which allowed me this great you know freedom. You know I created these worlds out of miniatures using using the the models and the toys and the in the macro lens. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. I was thinking about that. That was something I did a long time ago. But now I see these people. Now, now these things are all over the place. I'm not saying I was the first one to do it, but I certainly was one of the first. And now, I, now there's a lot of people who are doing these miniature, um, these specific, these toys. These I don't have any on Flickr to show you. Maybe I do, but I'll see if I can find some to put in the uh, show notes. I have a Flickr contact who for a long time took a little Lego figurine with him everywhere he went and would just, you know, put the little figurine wherever he happened to be that day and snap a few pictures. It was kind of fun. Cool. Yeah. You know, my, I was going to say, macro is the, a great way to go if you want to shoot, you know, in your house and you don't have a studio to set up. Doing macro stuff, I found, was, was a great freedom. Um, it's almost like I had an endless studio because I was working on such a small scale. And in terms of lighting, any particular tips in that regard? Actually, I was using... Um, 
more times than not, I was using like natural light um, from the window, uh, or I was using a single flash in a with a soft box environment, like a soft. Uh, you know, I would I would have a external flash like a speed light hooked up, and I would just put it in a diffusion material, and I would just I just use soft light. So again, it's sort of the equivalent of using you know uh, overcast lighting. Um, I found that I didn't want really harsh shadows, and I really wanted to uh, enhance the uh, shallow depth of field, so it was a minimal amount of light as possible. Um, but I found with you know, again with miniatures, you could do all sorts of things. You even I don't even, you know I I would light things with a flashlight because I didn't need a lot of light. You know because I'm lighting this small little area, this teeny tiny. In fact, I might have done some shots where I was using the the flashlight as spotlights and creating pools of light. Um, but you know, it didn't require a lot of setup, and it didn't require a lot of effort to to do. So the lighting was was minimal and easy. Cool. That sounds like fun. I'll see if I can find some pictures. I, I'll put. I'll see if I can post some for you before the end of the show. It's a little project for a rainy day. You know, oh, I can't go outside. Ooh, I'll just make a whole world in here. Yeah, and for people you know who are living in really small spaces, city dwellers, and you know, to suddenly turn your you know, a tiny little studio apartment into kind of a massive warehouse by just changing the scale that you're working at. It's a cool idea. Uh, has anyone on the panel any experience with uh, the Olo clips that you can stick in front of your iPhone camera to make, apparently to make it do pretty decent macro shots? I've seen the results on Flickr, but I've never done it myself. Yeah, yep. I, I... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I backed them when they were uh, on Kickstarter. So I got one of the first ones to come out. Um, and I used their macro, and I, what I found for myself was the macro was a little too tight, a little too small. I couldn't find things that were, I don't know. It, it was just, it was too close. Yeah, it was almost like not using a microscope, but like I couldn't really get into using it. I mean, I ended up using more of the wide angle uh, attachments to it, but when I did the macro, it was just, it was too tight. It was like, you know, you could see the date on a, you know, an American penny or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, great. But I don't know how much I want to shoot that close. So it was of limited use for me. Um, um, is that more of a magnifying glass? I mean, is that really more the effect that it's doing anyway? Kind of, yeah. It, I mean, and, does it, and does it distort? Very much so. And there's a lot of uh, chromatic aberrations and stuff like that, which I don't really like so much. I mean, if I'm doing stuff close up, I want it to be really clean and... You know, I mean, I guess it could look good in some effects, but I just I didn't like it. Um, I it didn't um, I didn't find the optics all that good on it. Uh, you and did you say you had one too? We interviewed uh, Patrick at MacWorld. Uh, we're at the British Tech Network, and um, I, I was really impressed with what I saw from the Olo clip. They've got a four-way Olo clip now that uh, that fits on, and um, I, I think you, you've you've got to just take it at the face value that it's. It's taken a, a small piece of glass, an extremely small piece of glass that's manufactured very, very well uh, and designed very well and putting it on a phone. And the phone hasn't got the best camera in the world to start with. Um, so you know, <laughs> you're not going to get particularly great effects out of it anyway. But in, from what I saw from something that you shoved on your phone, it was startlingly good in comparison. And talking to Patrick and interviewing him, he one of the things he said was that... Uh, he said, if you go back a year, we had seven designers and one salesman. And he said, we're now at a stage whereby, through natural progression of the organization, 
um, we've got more salesmen than we've got designers. We spend a lot of time designing this thing. And I, I was always quite critical of it on the photo show about the price. Um, I felt that it was it was an awful lot of money for what it was. But having seen what it can achieve and the diligence with which Patrick and his team have, have designed the thing, I think it's it's probably, there's not a lot. If you've got an iPhone and you like your iPhone photography, then I think there's no better um, addition that you can possibly make other than just saying, I'll sell my iPhone and I'll buy a Nokia 1020. Yeah. Did you see it on the on the iPhone 4 or the 5? I saw it on both. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know about the 5 yet. I haven't seen it, but, the you know, um, um, maybe the quality has gotten better because I had it on the 4S and it was like it was good but it doesn't wasn't great I mean maybe they maybe they improved something between yeah, but, but, iterations if you're, if you're t- <laughs> see this is this is the difference in, in terms of what your comparisons are and where your starting point is my uh, Nokia 1020 takes fantastic images for a cell phone and it takes actually mm-hmm. fantastic images in comparison to my 6D. So if you go to BritishTechNetwork.com and look at uh, uh, the DNG Fight blog on there, there's two images of a train that I took one weekend. One's taken with my Nokia 1020, and it's a DNG uh, output, and the other one is uh, a 6D, uh, a DNG output. And those are, those are screen captures of the DNG output. And you can't tell the difference. There is, mm. I know which is which. But if you go and have a look and you look at real close, you'll spot odd issues with color that will give it away. But without having to look really, really hard, you're never going to find that. And a certainly at a first pass, you'd say they were the same camera and they're not. They're completely different. And one's a 500-pound cell phone and the other one's a three-grand camera. And, and that's the difference. If you look at what Holoclip does for $70, it produces a lot more out of what is a very substandard camera to start with it's a fantastic cell phone camera don't get me wrong but the iphone is a substandard camera it's nowhere near anything else that's out there on the market for a proper camera yes i suppose it's it's all it's all relative um according to the internet which is always a bad way to start a sentence but let's let's just take it from there anyway um (laughs) According to the internet, another cheap way to do macro is to take like a nifty-fifty lens, pop it on backwards, and then shoot through that. Is that just rubbish, or is that accurate? So I've I read that a million years ago, and I always was trying to figure out how do you pop a lens on backwards? Right. If you're going to pop <laughs> yeah, it on backwards, yeah. why don't you just buy an extension tube? I mean, I, I, I you need know. something to connect the front of the lens to the. To no, the no, no. Re- reverse lens macro is where you basically have one lens of one description that's attached to the body and another lens of another description which you hold in front. So that's, re- that's reverse lens macro photography. So you're wow. putting it putting a lens on front of a lens backwards. Yeah. And you'll take a you can take your fifty mil and shove it against your telephoto part. So. You'll do the same effect with that, and you'll take the lens that you love and stick another lens that you love in front of it in the opposite way around. But you've just got to hold it manually. Hmm. Huh. That sounds. Oh, it sounds crazy. Yeah. So, the, so the answer part is I've never tried it because yeah. <laughs> obviously I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> I've got a better things to do with a day off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I can't imagine. So you and if you're doing that, it you. Don't you have movement and everything else going on? I mean, don't you? How would you get a decent 
photo doing that. Well, you, you, you can you could put um, tie it on with rubber bands. That'll help the friction if you've got something, or you can make a figure of eight with two rubber bands that'll hold it on. Um, so you do, you, you know what I'm saying? So you do from right. the back edge of the bayonet to the front edge of the next lens and back again. Sounds like a great way to get dust on your sensor. No, because the sensor's covered. The sensor's already got a lens over it. Yeah, this sounds like a recipe for disaster. Rubber banding a lens to the camera body. <laughs> you know? but, yeah, no. I and then, of course, it. it falls. It falls on, on the rear yeah. element, not the front element. You're there talking you about a discipline that goes back to before you and I were born together, put together. It, it, this okay. is a this is a process that has been done for a century of achieving macro before there was the principle of of creating uh, single lenses that could cope with that, and the ways of holding your lens together, providing your lens isn't you know your glass isn't sticking proud of the front uh, of the lens, there's no harm going to come to it. I just think there's a lot more safer options today than there was back then. Back then they didn't have any choice, but now I think you have a lot more choices than to to you know. Hot glue your lens to the camera. The wrong I was way. talking about hot glue. Oh, hot glue would be probably be better than rubber banding. Hot glue but you know, you little... said you just said before buying extension tubes for ten dollars. I mean, why would you not do that instead of? Uh, I mean, you know, rather than reversing I your the lens. question that someone asked. Yeah, I said according to the internet, and then the whole thing went off the rails. That that's a lesson, I think. Yeah, I guess world. I'm just talking about practical stuff. It's like you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be on here recommending that someone flip their lens upside down backwards and then rubber band it to their camera uh, as a way to take macro shots. It wouldn't be the first on my list of things to tell people to do, even though it's what you can do. Um, and it's probably worth experimenting with if you're you know, not worried about your lens too much. The, 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 the discipline of photography has always been about experimentation. I was spraying Elnet hairspray on chrome to cut down the glare on it. Uh, 30 years ago on a bumper I was uh, smearing uh, Vaseline around the outside of the lens for soft focus effects I was taking a set of 20 denier tights and stretching them as tight I could to get a soft focus on someone that's, that's photography by nature making the most of what you can get with limited resources you don't need to buy a new lens you don't need to buy a new body you need to be creative that's the purpose of photography and taking one lens and shoving it backwards onto another one is as crazy, creative as it gets. It's also a bit crazy, but yeah, I, I ah. see where you're going. <laughs> um, it is funny how you yeah, do end up experimenting with things. You know, you just have to make do sometimes. And, and, and then it's, it can be so interesting what you get. Antonio, you popped a link into the chat room shot with an Olo clip. That looks bloody good to me. The uh, the shot of the flowers. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. No, the I don't. Color is I don't, spectacular. I, you know, for my personal opinion, and this is me. Mm -hmm. First of all, the two things I didn't like about it. I mean, I, you know, I have it. It's too close. It's very limited for me. You know, just in terms of because it's a little too close. Hmm. Um, and I just, I'm a person who just doesn't like a lot of fringing around the edges. Now, I think in that picture, you can't see it because of the colors. So there's not a lot of fringing, but I've noticed it in, in other shots. So it's just a it's a personal thing for me. Cool. Um, if it wasn't so close, I find I probably would carry with me. Actually, I have an iPhone 5 now, so I can't use the one I've got. Um, I would probably use it more often because there's a lot of things I like to shoot close up, but I just don't want to shoot that close. You know, And that was actually the first weekend I had it. <laughs> so I was, I was going around a garden, you know, photographing everything that I could, I could find with it. Um, so, you know, cool. nothing's wrong with it. It's just my personal thing is it's, 
a little too tight for me. Uh, I what I said is I end up using I end up using the wide for you know those the Olo clip has the wide attachments and I end up using those more because um, I like the wide angle more. I just didn't find the close up so as useful for me. I wasn't into photographing that that tight. But that weekend was a lot of fun in that garden. Cool. I see you've, you've also popped uh, into the, the chat room, which I'll stick into the show notes. Um, a little dude, he seems to be reading, I was going to say the phone book, but they're not phone numbers. Uh, it's stock quotes. Oh, stock. Of course. Yeah, I can see that might be, yeah. Yeah, people need to do that, especially when they wear suits like that. Um, before mm. we, we're getting, according to my timer, we're, we're getting close to our hour, but... Um, at the, at the at the um early on in the show Tom mentioned that he likes shooting wide angle um which is fun and something I sort of tried because right, so I bought a wide angle lens I wanted to review it and therefore I wanted to use it for lots of stuff I knew I was going to end up pointing at the sky for my astro shots like 99% of the time but I wanted to see what else I could do with it and so I took it into a garden with lots of butterflies and figured what if I get this wide-angle lens right up close to a butterfly's face and take a picture? What will happen? And the answer huh. is it actually gives really interesting shots. Because um, normally when you, you know, when you do the, the sort of the telephoto trick, you stick mm-hmm. a telephoto close to a butterfly, effectively what it's you're tight. seeing is like two millimeters of the background stretched across the entire frame because it's a, it's a zoom lens. Uh-huh. But when you use a macro lens, that doesn't happen. And what you end up with is your butterfly... And then the background is normal. It's out of focus because you're you're very close to your thing and you're focusing in very closely. So it, it's kind of a fun effect. Um, so I've just popped an example into the show notes. And also, if I can find it, I also... I remember I tried something similar without like a really wide angle, wide angle, just sort of a fairly ordinary wide angle. And at 18 millimeters, you can mm-hmm. kind of get the effect too. So I've popped that in the show notes as well. So you really, really don't need a fancy micro lens. To yeah, I'm looking at that. that. That's great. Yeah. That's actually more of what I used to do with the Olo clip because it's got that's such a wide angle on the iPhone that I would put something very close in the foreground because I think once it's on, it can really focus very closely. And then I like that wide expanse so that there's mm-hmm. you know, a sense of context and environment and stuff. Very much like you Cool. Uh I think, well, I had sort of my, my touch points to hit off. So, does anyone else have any, any thoughts before we round her out? One closing thought I have is I, <clears throat> I just have to, you know, take my hat off to Mark because I was just out, Mark, I was just out in the tulip fields um, in Skagit County, like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. Really? And, uh, yeah, because my, I, to have family out there, and I used to live out there myself, um, but I was out there visiting recently, and, uh, you know, and I, I I got somewhat creative, but I tend to focus more on, um, I didn't get in close as much, you know, and just looking at some of the links that are posted here, you know, that's, uh, you know, I, I think it, 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 it just affirms what you're saying, you know, even... Not necessarily even if you're in a drab environment and trying to get in close and find something beautiful and amazing, but even if you're in an incredibly beautiful landscape, sometimes getting close is is the creative way to approach things. So I, I think if I were to go back, um, I I would definitely be um, more conscious of, of that as another 
um, important perspective. So I learned well, from you guys today. Well, thank you. And I, I, I want to, I'll, I'll go off of that just a bit. Uh, one of the things uh, Bart mentioned, the blog post that I did on tulips, um, but I, relating to the topic that we're talking about today is to see things a little bit differently and to see to go ahead and pay attention to the close stuff um, or the little stuff uh, at the tulip fields um, it's you can be really overwhelmed by I mean the quick description of the fields what you're really talking about is just row after row after row of very colorful tulip and it and it goes on uh, out to the horizon and it's it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the expanse of color and and the majority or you know very many of the pictures that you see people take uh, uh, the tourists to the uh, to the fields they're taking pictures of the great big expanse of color because it's so unusual it's it's such an unusual thing to see but when I go there I'll, you know I'll take a good fair number of those but a lot of the stuff I'll do is very close um, because it's something different it's something unusual and I think that that kind of goes to what Bart was saying even opening this topic which is mm -hmm. to pay attention to the little stuff the close stuff um, because you can get some really interesting images um, I've done that you know at the river's edge uh, where you know the river is gorgeous the sun shining off of it but I saw a uh, um, and I'll pop it into the show notes but saw a rock right on the river's edge that a that a bird had walked across and left a little uh, left footprints, and it was kind of a neat little shot. So I did that. Um, the other one, uh, I've been taking. I'm a new grandparent and been taking many, many, many pictures of my new grandchild, um, and uh, he was sleeping, holding his dad's fingers and got in close, focused in on the hands and, and got, a, I think, kind of a sweet shot. So it's paying attention to the small stuff um, and, and getting a little bit more unusual uh, image out of it, I think, is kind of what goes to Bart's uh, topic, uh, looking mm -hmm. at things a little bit differently. Well, it, it's also, uh, you know, the little stuff is part of the, the sort of the, the overall, I don't know, thing... Uh, not it's part of the place you're in. It's as much a part of it as the big view. Um, and there's a shot of yours, Mark, that I was hoping you'd wiggle in, but I'm going to wiggle it in into the shot instead, where you, I, I believe it was also with a wide-angle lens, where you took it down to the beach and popped it on the shore with a bunch of seashells in the foreground right. and the setting as the background. And so you get a much greater sense of the place. I'll, I'll pop it into the chat and into the show. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. I got uh, it right here. I, I found it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you, you get a sense, because you're including the small stuff and the big stuff, you're getting a much better sense of place than you could have done if you had stood in the exact same spot, but held the camera at face height, if you get what I mean. Right. And I'm going to, I wanted yeah, to cut in on, yeah. on Antonio when he brought it up, but I'll give another pitch for the uh, articulated viewfinder. I have the six, Canon 60D and a lot of the images that uh, we've talked about shooting up through the flowers or shooting those uh, seashells that you just mentioned, uh, you're able to get the camera in a very unusual place and then tilt the viewfinder so that you can get your shot. I love it. 
Okay, any other final thoughts from anyone? Hmm. Sounds like we're all final thought today. Yeah, no, it's like <laughs> I don't think the 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 idea of closeness. I mean, I like I spent I spent a good part of my photography career doing macro and close-up stuff. And um I I found so much enjoyment like once I started I think Bart when you were saying it's part of the place that you're in. It's it's like entering another dimension. Um, you know, it's that idea like you're walking around that day and you're like, oh, I don't know what to photograph. There's nothing out here. The weather's not good. It's like you all of a sudden open up another dimension that you may not necessarily be aware of, and then you start seeing things, and then you can't stop when you're when you're doing the the small things. It's almost like it's an endless it's an endless amount of um, photography at your fingertips, literally. Um, so it's one of those things I would encourage people to do. And, you know, getting a camera, like, you know, having a specialized lens or extension tube or, or whatever, um, make sure you carry that around with you all the time. You know, if it is an Olo clip, then it's, then it's on your phone all the time. Um, it, it just opens a whole new world up, um, for exploration. Uh, and I think, you know, if you haven't, if people or listeners haven't tried it before, I would hardly, you know, say go to it. You know, pick up whatever you can, and and start shooting small. And I mean, even if you're in like a, a place of you know, you know, horrible urban decay, the chances are there's a really pretty tiny little weed popping up through something, and actually there's there's some real natural beauty in what you really wouldn't think was a place with any nature at all. I I agree, I agree. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Especially for us city dwellers, you have to sometimes go small to find the beauty of nature in the concrete jungle. Okay, well, thank you very much, everyone. Um, I guess we'll... we'll uh, I always try to go in reverse order, but I always end up forgetting how I went the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> Ewan, thank you for joining us. Um, I hope you had a good time on your, Cheers, your first visit to Let's Talk Nuss. Yeah, I don't talk enough photography. I should. Uh, I should do it more. Definitely. There's, there's a microphone here for you anytime. That's Thanks, mate. Um, do you want to give people um, so, some links to where they can hear more of your stuff? Because you, you do quite a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, mean, the, we, I run the British Tech Network uh, with a couple of others, and uh, we do BritishTechNetwork.com. There's a whole pile of tech podcasts on there um, as well. And uh, I'm a commercial photographer. You can get me uh, uh, just by Twittering me at Ewan Rankin. Excellent. Thank you, Ewan. Um, Antonio and Tom, I, I used to sort of come as a pair now. Uh, <laughs> which of you wants to to do the plugging for Switch Dimension? Go ahead, Antonio. Okay, we are um, uh, together. Uh, Switch to Manual dot com, where we teach uh, people how to go back to the manual settings of their camera, just like the old days of photography. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Switch, the numeral two manual. So Switch to Manual uh, at Switch to manual, and we're on the Facebook uh, switch to manual as well. And we have a I just wanted to maybe plug we have an upcoming uh, uh, workshop in Coney Island next week, uh, next Saturday. So if anybody wants to come and join us, please do. Uh, Coney Island tends to be a lot of fun during the summer or the beginning of summer. So, um, so yeah, that's us. Excellent. Tom, anything else, Tom? No, you said it, man. That was perfect. All right. 
Cool. Well, th- thanks to both of you for joining us. Uh, thanks Mark, for having. Thanks for having us. Always yeah. a pleasure. Mark, do you want to give out some some linky things? Sure. Uh, my uh, photography. Uh, you can go to twinlakesimages.com, and that's uh, you'll see my photography there. I try to keep it up to date. I do some blogging there. I just did a short story on some images that I caught and some images that I missed. And uh, I'm Switchermark on the Twitters. And I'm also, I think you can find me Switchermark on uh, Flickr. Those are kind of the two main places. Cool. Excellent. Um, I'm Bart Booters. You can find Bart Bouchots even. I should really say all of the syllables in my name. Uh, you can find me at bartb.ie. And just before I round out the show... Um, just a, a little bit of sort of a, a little bit of begging to do. That's the only way to put it. Um, so I give out this show for, uh, you know, for free and I don't do ads on it. But it don't cost me nothing to host it and stuff. So if anyone would like to throw a little bit of contribution, there is now a big PayPal button. And there is also a link to something called Patreon, which is basically a sort of an adopt-a-podcast, well, an adopt-an-artist kind of thing. Um, and you basically say, I'd like to give, like, you know, $1 per podcast episode or whatever, and then every time I put out a show, I get a dollar from you. Uh, that's sort of the idea. So if you'd like to help out, you'll find everything over at lets-talk.ie, and hopefully you'll find the website looks a bit more user-friendly. I spent a wee bit of time learning how to theme WordPress, which was fun. So uh, lets-talk.ie is where you'll find all the stuff. And uh, thank you already to those who have supported and... Uh, I really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. So I'll leave it for there. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello, people. My name is Peter Bird, and I am the host of the Deep Look podcast. The idea behind the show is that we talk to our guests and we learn more about them, the subjects, the people, the things that shape their lives or the things they're interested in, or the things they would possibly want to know more about. Basically, we just like to look a little deeper and see what's there, and to learn. If that appeals to you, or you like that idea, or if even if you have a guest that you think we should try and speak to, then... Come on by and give us a go. We are part of the Stoplight Network.